Okay, good morning, everyone. My name is Spence, and I'm going to be reading out of First Thessalonians this morning. You guys can turn there if you'd like. It should hopefully be back on the screen as well. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessal Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we pre proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only as the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have been so incredibly gracious to us as your people. You sent your son into the world to live the life that we could never live. You've given us this gift of salvation, eternal life. Uh, you've given us the Holy Spirit to seal us and to give us in full assurance that we have salvation in Christ, that we have eternal life with you to look forward to. And though we might go through much affliction in this life, through much tribulation shall one enter the kingdom of heaven, is what Jesus said. We have the assurance of eternity with you, and we have that hope that we, no one can take from us, Lord. Thank you for that reality. I know each and every one of us has some sort of affliction, some sort of difficulty that we're persevering through right now, Lord, and you're carrying us through that, and I'm grateful for that, Lord. I pray that your word would be spoken with much authority here today, Lord, and that it would be received with meekness in each and every one of our hearts, that you would speak personally to each and every one of our hearts here this morning and collectively as a group, and that you would be glorified not only here in this building, because it's not about the building, but that you would be glorified within your church here on earth, Lord, all around the world, that the world would be, the word would be spoken and people would receive it, and you would be glorified, and you would be loved more completely through your people, Lord. We love you so much. Please help us to love you more and teach us how to do that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us unconditionally. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world to live a life that we can never live and for giving us eternal life and freedom in Christ. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm happy to report that God has truly blessed uh, the, the conference in Ireland that Jessica has um, taught at, spoken at, and she was able to do a, uh, a panel discussion. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but at conferences, a lot of times they'll have some of the key speakers up on stage to answer questions or to further dialogue about the content of the messages that have been shared and so she's been able to do that and to do a workshop and to teach one of the main sessions and to share her testimony. So she was able to do a lot uh, in Ireland, and it's just been a blessed time. And so thank you for your prayers. We prayed together last week uh, for her and for Jackie Mosley, and <clears throat> God has certainly blessed. So how sweet it is. Amen? Well, would you join me in a word of prayer before we dig into God's Word together? Heavenly Father, we worship you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We come with glad hearts. Lord, thank you that your throne is a throne of grace, and we have been invited in. We're able to come boldly. We're able to come uh, with hearts of rejoicing. 
we're able to come, Lord, and to make our needs known to you as we've been invited to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Thank you for your all-sufficient word. Thank you for our all-sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you because of what he has accomplished for us, his life, his death and burial, his resurrection, uh, that through faith and Jesus, uh, we have access to you, Father. We're invited to draw near, to draw near. There is no hindrance. There is no obstacle. We're able to come in faith. And so we come, even now. And the Bible says, Lord, that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, that without faith it's impossible to please you, but through faith, God, you are well pleased and you're a rewarder. So I pray that you would reward us this morning by opening our eyes and our hearts to behold wonderful things from your law, that you would speak to our deepest needs, issues, whatever it is that's going on individually, Lord, you know it all, God. There's nothing that's too hard for you, nothing that is beyond your reach. There is no sin that is greater than the power of the cross. And so, Father, I pray that you would work wonderfully, work mightily as your word is spoken, that you would speak through me, your servant, that you would give me uh, the ability to speak with love, with clarity, with conviction, with accuracy, that you would receive much honor here today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we continue our journey through the book of James. As uh, we've already stated many times over, we believe this to be James, the half-brother of Jesus. He was a leader in the early church there in the, the very earliest years, predominantly in Jerusalem. So he was a leader in the Jerusalem church. And this was a time, most likely, when the church was predominantly Jewish. Uh, it doesn't appear, at least uh, you know, at, at this point, perhaps, that the gospel had really gone far beyond Jerusalem. And so James is writing to a Jewish audience. He says to the, to the Jews who are scattered abroad. And so there's a lot of Old Testament flavor to this, and it's highly, highly practical, highly practical. And then so many people love this book for that reason. I mean, the, there's just low-hanging fruit. It's just right there. It's just right there. It's good for the, for the getting and for the eating. Amen? And really, the theme of this book is to not just be a hearer of the Word, but what? A doer of the Word. And the more time goes on, the more I'm convinced and reminded of that reality. It's not enough to just hear it. It's not enough to just read it. We actually have to put these things into practice. And he gets very practical about what that means and what that looks like. You know, Christianity, it's not... It's not less than, um, you know, just head knowledge. It's not less than head knowledge. We need the knowledge, but it's, it's more than that. Amen? Um, it's not less than um, a sentimental kind of passionate uh, response, but it's more than that. Okay? It's more than that. It's, it's covenant. It's relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? It's being in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that looks like something. It affects our hearts, it affects our minds, and it affects the way that we live our lives outwardly. It must. It must. And oftentimes when we encourage people, struggling Christians, as so many of us are and so many do, we struggle. It's hard, this life. Typically, we'll say things like, you just need to be in the Word more. And most of us, we feel that because we know it's true. We do need to be in the Word more. We do need to be in prayer more. We do need to be in fellowship more. But that is not the end in itself. A lot of times, I think when we tell people, you just need to be in the Word more, they hear that and think, yes, it's just one more thing I need to do that I feel like I'm not doing well, that I can't do for one reason or another. But the Word is a means to something greater. The Word is a means to better knowing God, being in a, in a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God, knowing how to live a life that pleases our God whom we love so much, knowing 
how not to do certain things that displeases the heart of our God. Amen? And so, it's not enough to just be in the Word. We need to do the Word. We need to let the Word have its effect in our lives. And as I keep saying week after week, as I am teaching James, and I'm getting convicted while I'm up here. I mean, I just get throat punched. And it and, you know, I could, like, just say, oh, man, what a hypocrite I am. But, no, we're all in this together, amen? We are learning together. None of us are pretending like we've got it all together, okay? We're here to learn. And so I realize even while I'm teaching, the Holy Spirit is doing business with me. And I think, man, I've got some areas that I need to repent in. I've got some areas I really need to follow through. And as the weeks go on, I find myself thinking, oh yeah, there was something that I was supposed to make good on. There was something I was supposed to change. Have I? Because if I don't, you know what I am? I'm the guy that James talks about in chapter 1 that says he looks in the mirror, he sees the need, but then he sees who he is, but then he goes away and immediately forgets. Remember that? And that guy is called, what, a forgetful hearer of the word not a doer of the Word. And so, I say all that to say we have, we have a, a very real goal. We're pressing towards the goal of Christ-likeness. We're pressing toward the goal of being changed. We're pressing toward the goal of sanctification. Amen? And so, I have been so blessed by the book of James, so challenged. And last week, we talked about our speech. Remember that? He got very practical with that. Being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, affects the way that we speak. And we talked about the importance of that because what we say really reflects what? What's in here. Who we are on the inside. It comes out. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said that, you know, you're going to know, you're going to know a tree by its fruit. And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? speaks. Exactly. We talked about how God is a God who communicates. He's not a God who's distant and withdrawn. He communicates to us. He has communicated through creation. He has uh, communicated to us in a very special way through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is His fullest and most final and complete revelation of Himself. And we, as those who are created in God's image, we communicate. Amen? We communicate one to another, and we reflect God's goodness. We reflect so much of God when we communicate in a way that glorifies God. But conversely, we can communicate in a way that tears each other down, that does not glorify God, that does not please God. And so we have a very great responsibility to use our tongues as an instrument of righteousness, of blessing. Amen? We want to be those who bring encouragement and who build up. We don't want to be those who bless God and then curse our brothers. Remember that? We don't want to be hypocrites in that way. And so James really did a deep dive on that aspect of the Christian life, speech. We know, we all know how powerful speech can be, what a force for good it can be. We have all been encouraged, haven't we? Don't you just know people in your life, I bet we could all think of someone right now who just seems to have a very special and unique ability to speak words of encouragement into our lives when we most need it. And we know what it's like to be just uplifted and revived. And I think that when that happens, for me at least, I thought, man, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. And so we also know what it is to be around certain people and to just have the air knocked out of us and to be just totally discouraged or cut down and far be it from us to be that person. Amen. Okay, well now James moves on as we move a little further and we're going to conclude chapter 3 and move into chapter 4. He's going to talk about interpersonal conflict. He's going to talk about where that comes from in the body of Christ and in other contexts. Uh, there, there are wars that happen. There is fighting that happens. Where does that come from? He's going to address that. He's going to talk about wisdom. He's going to talk about hef- heavenly wisdom. And he's going to talk about earthly passions and lusts. And we're going to kind of see those compare, contrasted against one another. 
And so I've titled this message, Heavenly Wisdom and Earthly Passion. And if we, uh, if we make it, which I doubt we will, but if we make it there, we'll deal with, um, what did I call it? Pragmatic posturing. I was just proud of that. That sounded extra good to me. Pragmatic posturing, just kind of living, living our lives in a way that's detached from any concern for God's, God's say in our lives as far as our planning goes. But I don't know that we'll make it there today. So, if you would look with me at verse 13. Verse 13, James is going to talk about heavenly wisdom or a, a heavenly perspective James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So James asks this question Who is wise? Who has understanding? Who is wise and understanding among you? That's what we want to be. We want to be those who are filled with wisdom and understanding, wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, amen? We want to be those who have wisdom. James talks about in chapter 1, if you lack wisdom, we can go to God and ask, and God gives it to us generously, amen? And so we have God's wisdom at our disposal. It's available to us. We want to be those who are marked with wisdom. We don't want to be the foolish man or the foolish woman. You know, the Bible talks about the fool. Typically what that is, it's a person who rejects the knowledge of God. The fool has said in their heart, there is no God. Okay? And so you've got the fool who rejects God, rejects God's wisdom, rejects God's ways. And then you have the wise man or the wise woman who walks in God's wisdom and God's knowledge. Amen? Which one do we want to be? We want to be the one who has wisdom and understanding. Now, James says, if that is you, then you're going to let that be made evident by your good conduct. It's going to be shown in the meekness of wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Well, we've, you know, there is a sense in which it's uh, what we've talked about before, insight, having kind of some idea, how do we handle this situation, how do we deal with that, where do we go from here, God, I don't know, help me, right? We tend to think of wisdom in that way. Really, wisdom is the right application of knowledge. You can be full of knowledge and not be very wise, we can have a head full of knowledge and not really know how to rightly apply it and still live our lives in a way that's destructive and foolish even. That's why we tend to see older people generally have more wisdom because as they've lived their lives, they've learned a lot of lessons. They've learned the hard way at times, and they can tell you how to rightly apply the knowledge because they've been there and done that. Amen? And so we want to be those who have God's truth, have God's Word, and know how to rightly apply it to different aspects of our lives. And again, James says that if you have that, it's going to be seen by good conduct. It's going to be manifest in our lives. It's going to be visible. It's going to be evident. How? In meekness, in meekness of wisdom. There's a, a humility there. There's a humility to wisdom. We don't have to boast in it. We don't have to go around and try to show it off. Look at how wise I am, everybody, right? I, I love this word meek, meekness. I've heard it described as uh, power under control. Jesus was a great example of this on the cross. Jesus could have called down legions of angels. He could have spoken a word and destroyed everybody around him. When they were mocking him and telling him to come off the cross, you better believe he could have. He absolutely could have, but he didn't. Another word for meekness is resignation. I like that. Jesus resigned himself to the Father's will. Jesus resigned himself to the cross for the greater good. Why? For love's sake. For the joy that was set before him, for obedience to the Father, so that in submission to the Father's will, for the love for us that we would have this salvation and be set free, 
So that was, that was meekness. And so we're to be a people who are full of God's wisdom, who walk in meekness, who walk in humility, who have good conduct and good character. Now, he, he juxtaposes this in verse 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So you have these two extreme opposites here. You've got meekness, humility, wisdom and understanding, good conduct. But on the other side of that, you've got selfish ambition, jealousy, boastfulness. And we really kind of see this follow through the rest of the text. And so what we don't want to be are those who are in it for ourselves. It's all about me with no thought or consideration to those around me. We don't want to be those who have jealousy in our hearts. You know, there's really two aspects to this. Uh, There's a sense in which I want what you have. There's a sense in which um, I'm upset that you have it, and I wish you didn't have it. I think that's the uglier, even more ugly side of jealousy. Um, And so... We don't want to be those people. We don't want to be selfish, all about ourselves, our comforts, our rights, our security, our stability, our promotion. We don't want to be full of jealousy and envy at the good things that are happening in other people's lives. We want to be those who are operating in wisdom and meekness and understanding and good conduct. He's going to tell us where the source of all of this is. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. There is a wisdom that comes down from above. There is heavenly wisdom. It is God's revealed wisdom inspired word. Amen? We go to this book for wisdom, for God's wisdom. That's the wisdom that we want. That's the wisdom that we need. I think all of us realize that the world's wisdom doesn't get it, or we wouldn't be here right now. We've had enough of the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom is not wisdom at all. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That is to say, it's, it's just on this very base, plain. Um, It's sensual. It's unspiritual, so it's relegated to a very physical realm, if you will. Um, It is demonic even, we're told. The wisdom of the world is demonic. It does not come from God. It comes from hell. It comes from Satan. The Bible says that Satan is the ruler of this fallen world and this fallen age. So the wisdom of the world, what the world says to us is good, what the world says is right, what the world says we ought to celebrate, what the world says that we ought to live for and chase after is altogether fallen, it's folly, it's foolish, it is not from above. And we don't have to go far to see that. I mean, we're living in a time, we're living in a day and and, and age where, I mean, all you got to do is watch the news for five minutes. And, you know, I don't want to get off on this on a, on a rant here, but I don't need to spell out for you what the world is trying to cram down our throats and tell us is good and right. Amen? That is demonic. That is wicked. Okay? That is not from above, and it ought not be in the church. Amen? And so, 17 tells us, what's good. It says, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, we want to be a people who are filled with heavenly wisdom that it works its way out in our conduct And it looks like purity, peaceableness, gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, good fruit, impartiality, and sincerity. Okay, that's the kind of thing we want to be marked by. Amen? 
that is the fruit of the Spirit as we see that. So what, what do we have? James is basically putting these two things together. You've got self-centeredness, self-seeking. You've got bitter jealousy and envy. You've got boastfulness. And then you have peaceableness, gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, impartiality, and sincerity. He's holding these two things up against each other. One is the result of heavenly wisdom, and the other is the result of earthly passion. So what realm are we walking in? What realm are we living in, if you will? Which one of those describes you, Christian? Which one of those describes me? We really need to do business with God and think this through. Because here's the thing about the, the practical outworking of wisdom. It is hard to put it into practice because our flesh doesn't want to. Because we're offended or we're discouraged or we are, you fill in the blank. So when it comes time to put God's Word into practice, the motivation ain't there, right? Because we want to do everything but. We want to flesh out. Amen. And so, how are we doing? Where are we at? Are we those who are marked by and walking in heavenly wisdom and humility? Or are we those who are full of jealousy and selfish ambition? Now, this is, this is important because this is the root. This is the root of so many issues in our church, in our homes, in our workplace, wherever conflict exists. Wherever there is strife, so often it's because this is at the root of it, or vice versa. And that's what James is going to get into now as we move into chapter 4. We're going to see the outworking, if you will, of this uh, earthly wisdom, these earthly passions. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So James asks, where does the, where does the fighting come from? Where does the strife and the contention and the quarrels come from among you? And that's the right question to ask. So often if there is some kind of fighting, we're going to ask like, uh, okay, what did they do? What did he do? And what did she do? And that could just go, well, he, you won't believe he did this or she did that. Well, that's not really the best question. The question is, why? What's going on here? Where is this coming from? That's getting to the root of the problem. You've got the root and you've got the fruit, or rotten fruit, if you will. And so James is saying, these things are existing among you. It should not be. Where is it coming from and Why? And he gives us the answer. It's because of our own lust. It's because of our own sinful desires. It's because of our own passions. Earthly, demonic, unspiritual passions. Now, we've been saved out of that. That used to be the realm in which we operated all the time. Outside of Christ, that's all it is. That's all we are. That's all we have. And we know what the fruit of that was for us. But when we come into the saving knowledge of Jesus and God gives us a new heart, He gives us His Holy Spirit, we're no longer operating on that basic plane, that base place of uh, conduct. We now are walking in the Spirit, amen? And we're seeking to live our lives in the wisdom of God. So there's a battle that ensues. And there's always this constant walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh. Responding with grace or responding with, uh, you know, that which displeases God and ultimately hurts others. There's always this battle that goes on. And James says, when there is fighting, when there's contention, strife, and quarrels among you, within you, it's because of your own selfish desire. He says you desire 
and you don't have, so what do you do? You murder. Now, likely here he doesn't literally mean people are going around killing people uh, because other people have something that they want. Now, that does happen, obviously. That is the root of murder in a lot of situations. But I think like what Jesus said, when you hate your brother, you've murdered him in your heart. And so there's a hatred there. There's a hatred that exists towards others. There's this war within you. You have a desire, and you can't obtain it, so you hate others who do have it. You covet. You covet and cannot obtain, desiring what other people have, not being content with what you have. So what do you do? You fight and quarrel. And then he says you don't have because you don't ask, but then you don't receive because you ask wrongly. And so it would be good for us to go to God for the things that we need, but we don't even get, we don't even get from God because we're asking with the wrong motives. We're asking for the wrong reasons. Why? So that we can spend it on ourselves, so that we can spend it on our own passions and pleasures. And so I guess let me just stop right here and kind of recalibrate a little bit. James is just painting a picture for us. He's describing a people that it's living for themselves, living for their own furtherment, living for their own comforts, living for their own status, jealous and upset with other people for experiencing good things. That's ugly. And that, that's in the heart of all of us. And, you know, that might not be going on in the church that may, might not be going on amongst us in these four walls. I don't think there's a lot of rivalry going on in here. I don't think, I don't, I don't sense that, you know. But this kind of stuff can happen in our hearts in other contexts. This kind of stuff can happen in our workplace when we see people getting, getting promotions, when we see people getting things we feel like we ought to have. Uh, in our own marriages, uh, we can experience these kinds of things when there's strife in our marriage. Where is that coming from? Where is that coming from? When, you're, when you have something to say to your spouse, is it because it's for their good or is it because you're just annoyed and you need to get it off your chest, you know? Uh, what is our motivation? What is our reasoning? Where is this coming from? When we find ourselves just being miserable in life, when we find ourselves just being depressed and discouraged and not happy with where we are and what we have, what is that? Where is that coming from? Is it just a desire for more? Is it just discontentment in our own lives, a discontentment with what God has given us, with the blessings that we have in our lives? What is that? Where is that coming from? Is it idolatry? Idolatry. Golly, the heart is an idol factory. Our heart is constantly coming up with new things to worship new things to worship. We're never satisfied, and we never really will be as long as we're looking to earthly things to fulfill us and satisfy us. And so always worshiping other things, always worshiping lesser things, always discontent, always envious, always covetous, that is all bad. That is not good. And so, what does James say to a people that are kind of stuck in this place? Verse 4, you adulterous people. Man, that's, that's he's not soft, soft peddling here. He's not pulling his punches. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So James says what this is ultimately, it's worldliness. It's worldliness. Have you ever heard the term worldliness? You probably have. I feel like I don't use that word as much as I used to. I don't hear people talk about worldliness uh, like they used to back in the day. Now, people can go too far with that. I come, I, I used to be, you know, in, in, uh, in churches where worldliness was strictly dress code and the kind of music that you listen to. Like if you were listening to Christian music that had drums in it, that's worldly. If your hair was cut a certain way, that's worldly. 
if you know you this, you fill in the it was it was all just very like outward external type stuff and that's that's worldliness 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 now those things can be those things can be but the bible describes worldliness as something else it's the the lust of the flesh it's the pride of life it's pride in possessions looking to those things and that's the kind of stuff that the world says is important isn't it you need to be true to yourself. You need to find true happiness. You need to be who you really feel like you ought to be in life. You need to climb the ladder. You need to be somebody. You need to have these things. That's, that's worldliness. Living your lives in a way that gives no consideration to what God said is good and what God says is right. Right? That's, that's worldliness. And James says, all of this behavior right here, that's worldliness. And what is that? That's adultery against God. What does that say, adultery against God? What does that mean? In order to commit adultery, there's a prerequisite there. You have to be married, right? And so, as I said earlier, covenant, that's what it is to be to, to be a Christian. We're in covenant relationship with God. What is that? Well, we know what marriage is, right? Marriage is a covenant relationship. You are standing in front of another person and saying, I will give you my life. I will be with you till the day that I die, until the day, you know, till death do we part, forsaking all others, for richer or for poor, for better or for worse, whatever, uh, you know, wealth, poverty, you name it, I am vowing today that I am with you, I am for you, that I'm committed to you for the rest of my life. That's what it is to be in covenant. And so that's what we do when we come to God. We are in covenant relationship with Him. We are committing ourselves to Him. Amen? And that's what it is to be in covenant community with each other. That's a huge aspect of being in right relationship with God is being in covenant community with His people. And so we, we commit ourselves to each other when we join the church. When we become members of the church, we are now saying that I am covenanting with God and I am covenanting with His people here. You are my brothers and sisters. I've got your back no matter what. This is my church. These are my elders. We are on mission here together. We are going to live our lives together in Christ. Amen? Amen. And so that's what it is. Now, when we've made that kind of commitment and we've covenanted with God, and now we go chase after the things of the world, that's adultery, spiritual adultery. And God hates that. It breaks God's heart. God is not okay with that. And the Bible says that if we go after the world, if we make ourselves friends with the world, we actually make ourselves an enemy of God. You can't have both. We can't be living for the world, guys. And that's the problem. We come into this thing and we're half-hearted. And we, we, we want to live for Jesus, but we still want to live in the world. We still want to listen to the world's music. We still want to conduct ourselves in the ways of the world. We still want to attain worldly treasures. We still get so distracted and lured and pulled away by the shiny trinkets of the world that do not satisfy. All they do is put a wedge between us and our God. All it is is spiritual adultery. When we, when we get into our idolatry, when we worship whatever it is that we worship, whatever it is that draws us away from God, whatever, whatever takes God out of His rightful place in our lives. When we put something else on a pedestal that's above God, and that can be good things, it can be sinful things, but that is spiritual adultery. Is there something in your life that keeps you from God? Is there something in your life that is hindering your walk with God? If you are worshiping or living for that thing, that's adultery. That's adultery. And we got to repent of that. We don't want to be enemies of God, amen? We do not. We don't want to be friends with the world. Now, I'm not saying we want to be hostile against the world. 
We've got, to be, we've got to have friendly relations with people in the world if we want to reach the world. We don't want to be like the world, though, because the world needs people who are distinctly different from the world. We don't need a bunch of spiritual adulterers out in the world trying to be like the world, thinking somehow they're going to save the world. What the world needs is people that are walking in holiness, purity, walking in God's ways, who are light and salt in a very dark and crooked and perverse world. Amen? And so, yes, we want to be friendly. We want to be kind. We want to be loving. We want to be present and available in the world, but we don't want to be like the world. We don't need to be a bunch of spiritual adulterers that are living for earthly passions and rejecting heavenly wisdom. Verse 5, it says, or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. Now, this is a difficult phrase to interpret, and it might be translated slightly differently in different translations, but it would seem that what He's essentially saying here is that God is jealous, and He yearns jealously for you. He is not okay with you being out in the world and pursuing the things of the world. He's a jealous husband. Now, we sometimes hear that, jealous husband, and we think that's bad. And it can be bad. There is a such thing as like a a psychotic jealousy. I remember in Tennessee, I was talking to a guy sitting outside a Big Lots. That's what I don't know if you ever heard of Big Lots, but it's like a, you know, it's, it's, it's a market of it's, it's a market for rednecks, okay? That's what it is. It's a, it's a market you find in the South. And so we're sitting out in front of the uh, big lots, and this guy was telling me about his, his marriage and how his wife is so paranoid that she, will, she literally has a login sheet at the door of the house, and he, he's supposed to log in and log out. Where is he going? Uh, how, you know, that's crazy, okay? That's not, the kind, that's not what we're talking about here. Um. My wife, for example, if, uh, if I see some guy flirting with my wife, do you think I'm going to take issue with that? Absolutely I am. And if I didn't, how do you think my wife would feel about that? Do you think she would feel loved? Do you think she would feel like she's important to me if I just shrugged it off and thought, oh, well, whatever? She would not feel loved at all. And so, of course, uh, God takes issue. He loves us. He's jealous for us in the good sense. We belong to Him. We have been purchased with a price. We have been purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and we are His child. We are the bride of Christ, if you will. And God doesn't play. And so when we try to give our affections to other things, when we try to be friends with the world, God's not okay with that. God will seek us out, and God will bring us back to Himself, and praise God for that. Amen? Amen. Um, It says in verse 6, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so, praise God for His grace. That's the solution. Here's the solution. You know, we might be those people who struggle with worldliness. We may have a pull to carnality. We might find ourselves in situations where there is bickering and fighting and selfish ambition and boastfulness and all of that. But you know what? God is good. God is faithful. He's full of grace, and He will bring us back in. He will draw us back to Himself. And so, really, what we have here is you've got pride, proud boastfulness, and you've got humility, right? Meekness. Okay, we continue to see these two things contrasted here. God gives grace to the humble. Now, there's no grace for the proud. We're told here, in fact, that God opposes the proud. Have you ever thought about that? What is it to oppose? It's to, to stand opposite of. So, if you're trying to move forward and God is standing in front of you opposing you, You ain't getting nowhere, okay? You ain't getting anywhere because God opposes you. Who wants to be in that place? But if we humble ourselves, 
if we draw near to God and just acknowledge our own sinfulness and our own weakness and our own neediness, God gives grace. God gives grace and He exalts. So therein lies the solution. Humility and grace. Humility and grace. God gives much grace to the humble. So then, what do we do? Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So there it is. Draw near to God. Humble yourself. There's much grace to be had. We draw near to God. And look, that that's kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. That's why we read the Word. That's why we get into the Word, so that we can draw near to God and receive from God what we need, God's wisdom, God's guidance. We draw near to God and we resist worldly wisdom. We resist the pull of Satan. We resist the, the power of the flesh. Now, how do we do that? By drawing near to God. The Bible doesn't say, go fight Satan, okay? I mean, if that's your goal, man, let me know how that works out for you, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to fight Satan. I'm trying to draw near to God, and God, God will take care of Satan, amen? We just draw near to God. We draw near to God. God draws near to us. We resist Satan. The Bible says that we resist, and he will flee. James says we resist, and he will flee. We draw near to God. God draws near to us. James says, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. He, what is he saying here? Repent. Repent of our worldliness. Repent of our love for the things of the world. Repent for our pride, our boastfulness. Repent for our idolatry. Repent for our self-seeking and selfish ambition. Repent from our enviousness and our jealousy. Repent of all of that. Humble ourselves, turn to God, submit to God in His ways, turn from our spiritual adultery, commit ourselves to Him all over again, bow our knees to His Lordship, draw near to Him and He will draw near to us, resist the devil in His ways and He will flee. Verse 9 says, be wretched and mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Now, he's not like James is not like just trying to beat people here. He's not just wanting people to be dejected and, and just beat up and, and just kind of living in that place. What's the verse? I'm trying to think of it. Godly sorrow leads us to repentance. Amen? Amen. And that's what he's trying to bring them to to a place of godly sorrow. Humble yourself. Turn. Repent. Confess your sins. Have a heart that breaks. Does your heart break for your sin? You know, we love to look at other people's sin and get very angry. Do we get angry over our sin? Do we get as mad about our own sinful condition as we do others? And sometimes I've just even this morning, something was going through my mind, and I just thought, what a wicked heart I have. You know, oh, wretched man that I am, just recognizing that I am still in need of a great Savior. Praise God that I have a great Savior. You know, I'm not the man that I want to be. There is this now and not yet tension that we live in. We're grateful to God for what God has done, who we are in Christ right now, and we rest in His victory, His achievements, but things aren't as they will be one day yet. There will come a day when not only are we rescued from the penalty and the power of sin, but we'll be rescued from the very presence of it. Amen? Amen. And in this meantime, our hearts break, our hearts grieve over our sin and over the sins of others. 
But we don't just live in that place. We don't just shrug it off. We don't just go deeper into it. We, we let our hearts break, but then we confess it and we turn from it. We don't want to be the one who looks in the mirror and then forgets who we were. We want to do business with God. We want to obey His Word. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. And so God says, humble yourself. If we humble ourselves, He will lift us up. If we try to exalt ourselves, we will be brought low. Isn't that what the Word of God says? But if we repent, if we confess, if we forsake, if we draw near to God and resist the devil, God will draw near to us. He will give grace to the humble, and He will lift us up. Now, that, that is a recipe for health. If we are people who are walking in humility, if we are people who are walking in, you know, regular confession of our sins to God and one to another, if we are a people that are drawing near to God so that God would draw near to us, if we are a people who are resisting the wiles of, of the enemy and the draw of the world and the flesh, man, praise God. That's a, that, that, what that looks like is a people who are walking in heavenly wisdom. That looks like a people who are showing heavenly wisdom through, through good conduct and meekness. Amen? And that's what James wants them to be, and that's what God wants us to be. And you know what this is? It's, it's all really a picture of Jesus. Jesus is that. He's the perfect embodiment of it all. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of these things. And so, praise God that even when we fall short of this, and we will, we don't have to despair because Jesus Christ fulfills it perfectly for us. Therein lies our hope. It's because of the finished work of the cross. It's because of the good, the good word of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, that we don't have to live in a place of despair. We can be empowered by what Jesus Christ has done to live lives like this. Amen? You know what? We can be these people. We can be a people that walks with their God and purity and holiness. We can be a people who have all that we need for life and godliness. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for the finished work of the cross. If there's anyone here today, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You may know some things about Him, but you find that you are absolutely bound up in iniquity, that the description of the world sounds an awful lot like yourself. There's good news. There's hope. You can be set free. God can give you a brand new heart in Jesus Christ today. God can fill you with His Holy Spirit. You can have the wisdom and the wisdom from above. You can have God as your Father. You can have Christ as your Savior. Amen? That's what God wants. That's what we want for you. All you have to do is confess your neediness for Him. Confess, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I have sinned against your goodness time and again. And I believe that you are the Son of God, that you lived a life I could not live. You died the death that I deserve. You rose again from the grave, victorious over sin, over Satan, over death, over hell, and I need you. It's as simple as believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. We praise you. God, help us to repent. Help us to turn. Help us to turn, God, to you, to turn from our ways. Help us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Help us to be changed, men and women. Help us to be those who conduct ourselves in your wisdom, who live lives of understanding, who live fruitful lives. God-glorifying, God-honoring lives. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. May He lift up your countenance, and may He give you peace. May He fill you with a fresh joy, a fresh love, a fresh excitement for Him and for serving Him this week. Go and serve your King. Amen.